Good morning and welcome to Refuge Bible Fellowship and happy Mother's Day. Today is Sunday, May 10th, and it's just a special day, a day in which we set aside to celebrate our moms. And so I, I pray and I hope that today you are having a wonderful day. This morning we're going to shift gears a little bit and uh, we're, we have a, um, a special Mother's Day message. Um, it's going to be geared toward um, some of the mothers that we find in the Bible um, so we're going to take a break from our normal study going through the book of Acts, and uh, we'll get back to that next Sunday. But for today, uh, we're going to be looking at the lives of several uh, just wonderful women of the Bible that have demonstrated such a compassion toward their children and uh, in, in their kids. Their children have grown up to impact um, not only that day in which they lived in, but even today. And so what a wonderful legacy uh, we can leave uh, in our kids uh, to grow up to be uh, men and women who are Jesus lovers and, uh, and really know how to live life to the glory of God and impact others and influence others in the same manner. So let's pray and let's get into this morning's message. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Lord, for your word, we thank you for these examples that we have before us. Lord, throughout scripture, we have women uh, as examples that have taken the time to pour into their children uh, and had the blessing of seeing them grow up to bless and glorify you, to bless others, and to encourage us even today. And so, Father, I ask a, a special blessing upon all of our mothers out there. Um, a special blessing upon my mother, uh, Irma, and, uh, and a special blessing upon my wife, the mother of my children, Bettina. I ask, Lord, that you would crown them with wisdom, continue to give them just a, a willingness and, and a spirit to uh, continue to uh, pour into um, their children, that you'd be honored and glorified, and that they would be uh, like Lois and Eunice, the, mothers, the, the grandmother and mother of Timothy, uh, that they would, um, Lord, give themselves to growing their children up in such a way that they would serve you as sons and daughters, not only of them, but of you, to your glory. And so, Father, we commit this time into your hands, Lord, once more. We thank you for this time. Give us understanding, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so this morning, <clears throat> we're going to... Think about this one word. Uh, the word is reckham. It's spelled R-E-K-H-E-M. Reckham. It's not reckham as in what our kids did when they were really small and wrecked everything in the house. Um, but it's, it's, a, it's a word that means compassion. And so we're going to be looking at that for that should be and is exemplified in mothers. Um, so happy Mother's Day. Um, Abraham Lincoln said this, quote, no man is poor who has had a godly mother, close quote. And I want to say amen, and I agree to that. Absolutely, no man is poor who has had a godly mother. So compassionate is described as this, sympathetic pity, a concern for the sufferings or misfortunes of others. Um, I mentioned the word reckham, R-E-K-H-E-M. And that is a word, uh, the Hebrew root word for compassion, 
which goes back to the root word. That word means the womb. So it describes the womb. Uh, This speaks of tender feelings of mercy associated with the womb and is directly related to the maternal instincts of a mother for her child from her womb. Or the kind of feelings one has for that which is totally helpless. As I was thinking about this word and the whole relationship between um, carrying a child in the womb for a mother and, and as far as the feelings one has towards someone who is absolutely totally helpless, you think of the, of the consciousness of, of, a, of a baby, especially in the womb. You know, I don't know of anyone who remembers a time when they were in the womb. They just absolutely don't remember that. In fact, we don't remember the, a good three or four years uh, beginning uh, when we begin our lives. I, I don't remember those. Um, just kind of like bits and pieces of when perhaps I was four and then when we were five. But we don't remember those times when we were absolutely helpless and needed the mercy, the compassion of our mothers. And yet they were there to lend us a hand. They were there to help us out in time of need. And so it's a great picture of this compassion that we ought to show toward others. So as we go through this, I want you to see a characteristic, a godly characteristic that is demonstrated through a relationship between a mother and a child and how that is applicable to you and I today as we see someone who perhaps does not know that they are helpless and yet they are and how it is that we need to be compassionate. We need to be patient and we need to come alongside and help them in that time whether they know it or not, or even whether they remember it or not. Now, there is no one who knows compassion as it pertains to helplessness and dependency than a mother who's cared for their baby who came from their womb. Motherhood itself is completely a work of compassion. Well, in this feeling of compassion that a mother has been given by the Lord by design for her child, it leads to tending to the child's needs. And there is an inclination to build up, to build a child up, to not be helpless or dependent at some point. So, again, with that compassion, with that word reckon as being the root, speaking of the womb, initially it's a complete helplessness. But that compassion turns into help, assistance in building up that child to be independent, to be able to help themselves in that, those difficult times. Because the mother, that person that's there for them, can't be, be there for them always. And so it's a beautiful word, again, of compassion. Keep this in mind, how it applies to you as we go through these examples we find in the Bible. There is the care in the womb, but then there is the progression of giving birth and then, uh, the, then carrying out of the womb and helping the child grow and mature and become independent, having learned through compassion, uh, compassionate care and deliberate teaching. Proverbs 22.6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. How? Well, a good thing is that the Bible gives us instructions on how to do that very, very thing. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. 
You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you arise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. What this produces in a person as we do this is an inclination toward the Lord. As we demonstrate this and exemplify it by our own lives, as our children are growing, what happens is, is they see an example worth following. And they too, if they see a love of God, a love of Christ, an understanding of salvation, a reception of salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, then what they do is they're, they're inclined to that very same thing. They understand, they see how it all works, what it's done in the life of the parent. That's compassion in and of itself because you're teaching your children to grow up and for themselves make the decision to follow Christ. To know what the word of God says and for that to serve them as a lamp to their feet to know where they're standing in life and the light to their path, for them to know the right path to take in life. So this produces this inclination toward the Lord. The, some examples of this is a mother like Jochbed. This is the mother of Moses. We're going to look at her briefly um, this morning. Another uh, mother, is uh, her name is Hannah. This is the mother of Samuel, the prophet. But also Lois and Eunice. This is the grandmother and mother of Timothy. And we have Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist. And then, of course, Mary, the mother of Jesus. So let's begin with Jochbed, the mother of Moses. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 2. We're going to read verses 1 through 10. And we'll see here a, a description, kind of getting the background of what the situation is for the Israelites that are in captivity in Egypt, and how it is that um, under these circumstances, Jochbed, the mother of Moses, um, of course, uh, still bears a child, and uh, she delivers this child, and she cares for this child for a time being, and so we're going to take a look at that. So Jochbed, the mother of Moses, Exodus chapter 2 and verse 1. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. When she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the river bank. And his sister stood at a distance to know what would, what would be done to him. Her name is Miriam, by the way. And, of course, mom's name is Jochbed. Dad's name, by the way, is his name is Amram. Now, verse 5. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her young women walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman. And she took it. And when she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said... This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. 
And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. Uh, when the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. And so it is a story of Moses, his birth. Um, it's just, uh, th- this actually had taken place during the time of uh, Israelites, uh, the Israelites being under, you could say, captivity under Pharaoh. They were slaves to the Egyptians. They had been in captivity for 430 years when a new king came into power and saw that the number of the Israelites had grown to such a great number that for him, he looked at them as a great threat to his kingdom. He thought at any moment they could form a revolt and take over his kingdom. So first, what the Egyptians did was they oppressed the Israelites, making them work ruthlessly, harder. But the Israelites continued to multiply. The next thing, because this was not working, the next thing that Pharaoh did was he ordered the Hebrew midwives to kill all the male children who were born, but to allow the females to live. Well, because the Hebrew midwives uh, feared the Lord, they did not do as they were told, but gave some excuse as to why they couldn't. Uh, they were saying that the Hebrew women, um, they delivered too rapidly and didn't get there in time. And so uh, they, they made these excuses. But really what we know because of the word is that they feared the Lord. And it's for that reason that they did not follow through with that command of Pharaoh. Finally, uh, the, the uh, Pharaoh ordered all of his people, Every said this, he said, Every son that is born to the Hebrews you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. Exodus one twenty two, And then we read through the first 10 verses of chapter 2. So even in the midst of persecution and oppression, Jock been married and she had a child. And his name is Moses. She knowingly endangered herself and her son. Jock been, as we read, hid Moses for three months from the authorities, caring for him, loving on him. And finally at the point to where she could no longer keep it a secret... Um, she did what she had to do, what she was really led to do. It was such a beautiful picture of salvation as Moses was put into this waterproof basket, as waterproof as you can make it, and allowed him to drift down the Nile, only to be found by Pharaoh's daughter. And it's interesting how it is that as, as Moses was drifting down the Nile and Pharaoh's daughter had looked out and seen this. And, and Miriam, Moses' uh, sister, was walking along the bank of the river, just keeping an eye on him. And, and think about this, because Jochbed had hid Moses for three months, and here he was floating down the river. He, she was hoping for the best for Moses, that he would be brought into the care of perhaps even Pharaoh. And that's exactly what happened. And then as Pharaoh's daughter turned and as Miriam Uh, so happened to come up at just the right moment, asked if perhaps she could go get a servant to breastfeed uh, Moses and and care for him for her. Um, She gave the okay, and Miriam went off running back to her mother, and her mother came and offered herself to do that very thing, and she was able to care for her son and get paid for it. Oh, the things that the Lord does. 
Hebrews 11.23 says, By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because he saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Oh, that was something that the Lord did. Specifically in that situation. And we know the reason for it is because God had selected Moses to serve as the one that he would work through to deliver the children of Israel from under Egyptian bondage. But it had to take a woman who was willing to fearlessly follow through with what the Lord had commanded for her to do. Moses was taught the things of God all the while Jochebed, his mother, had him in her care. He knew he was a Hebrew and feared God. We know that as the story of Moses continues to work out, he knew he was a Hebrew and he feared God. Oh, so much that the Lord did through him. He brought the law and so much more. So anyway, but we're talking about Jochebed. Now, uh, secondly, Hannah, the mother of Samuel, the prophet. Let's turn to 1 Samuel chapter 1. 1 Samuel chapter 1. So, uh, we have this, uh, this certain man, and he had actually two wives. Uh, there was a, a certain man of uh, Ramathaim, Zophim, of hill, the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroam, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zeph, an Ephrathite. He had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah and the name of the other Penina. And Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. Now, this caused, this, this, uh, caused a great uh, problem and conflict between the two wives. Um, how it was that Hannah was greatly distra- distressed because, because Penina would give her a hard time. Um, she, would really, she would ridicule her and she would put her down because she had no children. She was barren. And so Hannah... Uh, was in deep distress, she would go to the Lord, uh, and she pleaded with the Lord. There was a moment here that we're going to see in in just a a second, how it was that Hannah would would go to the Lord and cry out to him and plead for a son. So, Hannah, we know, loved the Lord, trusted in the Lord, and looked to him. In practice, we know that Hannah kept her promise. Now, listen to this. This was when she came to the Lord because um, she had uh, really been, uh, like I said, ridiculed and put down by Penina. And she was uh, just, uh, uh, how is it described here? She was grieved. She was, um, she would be provoked. And so she was crying out to the Lord. So this is what she did. So uh, verse 9 in 1 Samuel chapter 9 says, After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord All the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Eli the priest. Hannah was speaking in her heart, only her lips moved, and her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, How long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered, No, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. 
Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, Let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. Why do you think her face was no longer sad? She went away in that way. It was because she trusted that the Lord had spoken through Eli the priest. And she believed God at his word. And so what did Hannah do when she came to be with child? She had a, a young son, or she had a son named Samuel, whom she named Samuel. And uh, he served Israel faithfully. And he was the one who anointed at God's direction, who anointed first Saul, the, God, uh, the people's choice for a king for Israel. And then he also, Samuel, anointed David as king of Israel, the second king of Israel. And, uh, and he was God's choice. So he was used mightily by the Lord. So Hannah, though, kept her promise. So she went to the Lord, she believed the Lord, and she kept her word to the Lord. Characteristics that should be that should demonstrate an, a, an integrity for us toward the Lord. As we go to the Lord, we trust in him, we believe in him, and we keep our promise to bring glory to the Lord. And so we see this in Hannah. Hannah brought up Samuel in the fear of the Lord, teaching him the things of God and teaching him to observe or to observe and serve God. Now let's go to Second uh, Timothy chapter one. So Second Timothy chapter one, we're going to take a look at the grandmother and mother of Timothy, Lois and Eunice. In Second Timothy chapter two. And we're going to start in verse 3. It says, the Apostle Paul writing to Timothy says, I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience as I remember you constantly in my prayers day and night. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason I... I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Now, two generations of godly motherhood produced a young man who, although perhaps his personality wasn't an aggressive one outwardly, but certainly by the power of the Holy Spirit and the instruction by someone like the Apostle Paul, helped form all of that, helped form this young man into an instrument that could be used mightily by the Lord. And certainly he was. He was used mightily. You see, the Apostle Paul had so much trust in Timothy, who was given as a devoted, committed servant of Jesus Christ, Uh, to serve as pastor in the most difficult of places in all the world. And he sent him into that place. But we need to go back. We need to go back and consider his grandmother and mother, Lois and Eunice, two generations of godly motherhood. Timothy was brought up under the sincere godly faith of two women. It, It was not a... 
a, a loose, a liberal, false faith who believes in a deity and allows liberty to be given to a child to choose as he sees fit, a religion of choice when he comes into adulthood. No, he was guided and directed, for there is no other God but God himself. That is the, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Yahweh, God Almighty, Jesus, the one who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. They brought him up in that way to know the one true God. It was a, a, a known true faith in the living God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the creator of the universe, the one and only saving God. Timothy was taught God's word by two generations of women who loved God. And so we see evidence of what that produced in the life of Timothy. Again, a man who was used mightily uh, by the Apostle Paul, but more importantly, by the Lord to continue to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And so it was a faith known. It was a faith shared. And a grandson of Lois and son of Eunice, Timothy, um, was demonstrated and God used them in some wonderful ways. Well, let's move on to Elizabeth. Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist. So turn with me to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. And in Luke chapter 1, we're going to go to verse 39. So Luke writes, in Luke chapter 1, verse 39, In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country, a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary and the baby, uh, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she ex exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. So we have the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth. Uh, Elizabeth was barren in her old age. She was advanced in years, and uh, it was thought that perhaps she wouldn't have children. But Zechariah, on a certain day, at a certain moment, as he's serving in the temple, was visited by Gabriel the angel. And Zechariah, in the midst of that, as he questioned the, the angel, became mute because he did question the angel. For the, the news that he brought was that um, his wife Elizabeth would be with child. And so he was caused to be mute until that moment when his son would be born and he was to name him John. Uh, not Junior, but it was to be John. It was for a specific reason. 
So this all happened, but Elizabeth believed, as we see here, the exchange between Mary and Elizabeth, how was that when Mary came to visit, and so Mary and Elizabeth are cousins, Mary came to visit cousin Elizabeth, Elizabeth was with child, Uh, the child's name as we know is John, he's John the Baptist, Mary of course is with child, she is carrying Jesus, and so Mary comes And they have this exchange, but you see how it is that Elizabeth was so honored. Why? Because she knew exactly who Mary was carrying. In verse 6 of chapter 1, it says, And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. There was this righteousness in these women. And regardless of their circumstances, they were faithful to bless and serve the Lord, teaching their child to fear the Lord and to serve him all his days. And we know John the Baptist uh, was the man who said as he was at the Jordan baptizing, as he saw Jesus coming, he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He said, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. To be the lowest of sir, I'm not even worthy to do that. So he was used mightily, but he was brought up, listen to this, by Elizabeth in the ways of the Lord. A man, a young child who became a young man who served the Lord and was used in such a mighty way. In fact, he's the one that said, he must increase, but I must decrease. It was a continual thing to where he understood, and we use this so many times. I know sermons, many are, have been written because of those words that were uttered by John the Baptist. He must increase, but I must decrease. That should be exemplified in every single Christian. We should decrease as Jesus increases in our life and we glorify him. Well, let's go to Mary, the mother of Jesus. Finally, in Luke chapter 1, also verse 26. So we go back just a little bit. To verse 26, and we see Mary. So, verse 26 says in Luke chapter 1, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. For you have found favor with God. And behold, you, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. I wish we could go into detail with this, but perhaps another day we can do that. But I want to point out how Mary responded to all this. Because Mary did not question if, but only asked how. 
as we read there in verse 34, she said, well, if this is true, she didn't say that. She says, how will this be since I'm a virgin? She knew she had never been with a man. And so it was physically impossible. And yet the whole reason for the virgin birth is because he, Jesus, would be holy. He is holy. Would remain holy. Eternally. And so she didn't ask how, but it was just if. Or I mean, not if, but how. Mary regarded herself also as a servant of the Lord and submitted to the word of God. She, she completely, whole, completely herself submitted, surrendered herself to the Lord. Mary's last recorded words are found in John 2, 5. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Those are great words for us to remember. Mary telling the servants, do whatever he tells you. This was a wedding at Cana. And all of these mothers, as we looked at them, trusted in the Lord, looked to him, clung to him, raised their children up in the Lord. And their children, of course, came to be mightily used by the Lord. All of these mothers had one thing in common. They exercised faith. And in this, what came about was a legacy, an amazing legacy they left in their wake. They had hearts that were inclined to the Lord, hearts that were inclined and overwhelmed for the sake of others to come to know the Lord also. Moses was, was the son who was chosen by God to lead God's people out of slavery in Egypt and led them for 40 years, being the instrument by which God gave the children of Israel the law and prepared Joshua to succeed him and bring the people into, lead the people into the promised land. Samuel, 1 Samuel 3.19 says, And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. And so the Lord used Samuel mightily. He was the last judge of Israel leading them until the Israelites, of course, demanded a king just like the rest of the nations of the world had. And then Samuel was directed by God to anoint the first king, as I mentioned earlier, of Israel, Saul, who failed. But then he was directed by God to anoint the second king of Israel, and that was David. Timothy was a man used by God in the early church to prepare, organize, contend for, and build uh, her up in sound doctrine in the, you could say, the hub city of the world, Ephesus, his influence in God's faith was, God's, uh, was for God's people. That is something that is still felt even today. John the Baptist was a man used by God to prepare the way for Jesus Christ, who said, Behold the Lamb, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And in John 3.30, as I mentioned earlier, he said, He must increase, but I must decrease. John was the last Old Testament prophet, you could say, and the first New Testament prophet. He was born to prepare the people to receive Jesus Christ as the Christ, to introduce him to the world. And so it is with us. Moms, I want to encourage you. Be as Jochbed, as Hannah, as Elizabeth, as Mary, and as many others in the Bible that raise their children in the ways of the Lord. Because when we do this, we have them grow up with hearts that are inclined toward the Lord. They remember the words that they heard within the home, that we spoke, that we encouraged by, 
and they lean back upon them. But the last one I want to refer to, and I want to close with this, is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. He's the one who lived to die, the one who bore all of your sins and mine. Jesus Christ, the one who loves you and desires that all should come to repentance, to salvation, to live with him, and ultimately be with him for all eternity. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, and whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. In the end, what really matters is whether we're encouraging others to trust in God, to believe in Jesus Christ, and to live lives that glorify him. I pray that you know salvation in Jesus Christ. If you don't, ask God for forgiveness and believe that Jesus Christ lived to die on the cross, paid for all of your sins, died on the third day, rose from the grave, and today sits at the right hand of the Father, interceding on behalf of you and I. Believe on him as Lord and Savior. Turn from your sins and give your life to him. The word tells us that there's no salvation in anyone else, but only in the name of Jesus Christ. So confess with your mouths that Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And the Bible says you will be saved. To God be the glory. Father, we thank you, Lord, for Lord, such beautiful examples of mothers who were willing to, regardless of the circumstances that they were found in, uh, the really important thing that they knew was to teach their children the word of God, to love you, to fear you, to revere you, and to also trust you. And so I pray, Father, that you would be with us this day, that we would be reminded of the love that you've demonstrated toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. For, Father, you did send the Son to die on the cross in our place. He paid for our sins in full on that cross so that we wouldn't have to because we could never pay for our sins because we're not perfect. And yet Jesus is perfect. And so he was the Lamb of God. He was the one that was sacrificed on our behalf. Let us always remember that. And with that, respond with rejoicing and with the hope that we have found through salvation in Jesus Christ, having been forgiven of our sins and knowing the hope of heaven in Jesus Christ. To you be the glory. And all of God's people said, amen. Amen. God bless you. Happy Mother's Day. Have a wonderful day.